Hi, Gary Zacharias with The Apologist Bookshelf. I want to share a brand new book that I just finished by J. Warner Wallace, one of my favorite people. He's been to our apologetics class, spoken to our church, just a warm, wonderful person who uh, is an incredible uh, cold case detective, got famous for that. He's a popular national speaker, a best-selling author. And what he does in this book, it's called Person of Interest, and he investigates Jesus the most significant person in history, and he uses a unique way. It's just full of his uh, illustrations because he was uh, an architectural major, so illustrations are all over this thing. And I'll tell you what I was impressed with. The book is huge, and it's huge for a reason. It's 257 pages of his writings, but then he has what he calls case notes, which are uh, more in-depth for people who'd like some more detailed information. And that goes from page 259 to 312. So it's like, uh, what is that, about 50 pages, a little over 50 pages of really wonderful notes, uh, super detailed notes, quotations, uh, dates, all sorts of things. So this book is uh, honored by so many people. I was just looking, it's about two or three pages of uh, people complimenting him, Greg Laurie, Lee Strobel, Greg Kokel, James Tour. Now, James Tour is a chemist. He's won all sorts of awards and um, a really fascinating man. He's a nanotechnologist and professor of chemistry. And I would just, as an aside, say, take a look sometime at some of his YouTube videos, James Tour, T-O-U-R. Okay, uh, John Stone Street, president of the Colson Center. He, he's the host of Breakpoint. Justin Brierley recommends the book. Sean McDowell and his dad, Josh McDowell, Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, Michael Behe, who's the biochemist. He wrote Darwin's Black Box. Um, Gary Habermas, who's probably the single best authority on the resurrection of Jesus. Frank Turek, Natasha Crane. Oh, I like her work so much. She's a speaker and a podcaster, and she has all these great books about talking with your kids about Jesus. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, the baseball player, Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries, Ray Comfort, the evangelist, and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. So what he's doing in this book is giving you reasons for Jesus uh, being the, the number one person in the world, and he does all sorts of topics. I don't even know how to explain them without uh, just having you read it, but he talks about Jesus influencing culture, Jesus influencing um, the imagination, as far as literature and all, uh, the education that came about because of Jesus, science that came about because of Jesus, the fact that he's considered the one and only um, kind of uh, Messiah for the world, just, oh, it's so good. I'm going to take the chapter, it's on 174, give me a second, I'll get there. It's called uh, Jesus the Science Denier, question mark. And so what he's going to look at here is, does Jesus and Christianity, does it really oppose science? Because all the way through, of course, knowing Jim Wallace, he tells a, a story of a murder, but then he tells his personal story. So you get a lot about his life. And he said um, he really, back then, he, he thought that science would someday solve all the questions that were once answered, uh, once answered by primitive theologians. So he thought the Christians basically opposed science. And uh, <laughs> he quotes 
Catherine Ferringer, who's a social activist, and she once said, we would be 1,500 years ahead if it hadn't been for the church dragging science back by its coattails and burning our best minds at the stake. Wow, why don't you just tell us what you really feel? So he starts with the story of uh, Galileo, right? Because he, he says his view about Christians and not being big on science, he said it was influenced by what he thought he knew about Galileo, uh, the astronomer who lived in the 16th and 17th centuries. He said, you know, Galileo was right when he described the solar system as heliocentric. And, of course, it, the Catholic Church didn't like it, he said. That's what he thought. And he was investigated as a heretic. And he got convicted and spent his life, the rest of his life, under house, house arrest. And he says, ah, there you go, you know, Christians denying science. But he says, you know, the truth about Galileo and the Pope, he says, is a lot more nuanced than he originally believed. Jim says, actually, the Pope was a fan of Galileo and even defended him on one occasion on an unrelated scientific proposal. But the Pope now interviewed him and said, okay, you can write about the heliocentric idea, in other words, the Earth going around the sun, if you treat it as a hypothesis, because there's no way to prove it. But Galileo published his treatises more than that, and then he made it so much worse on himself because he had a mock representation of the Pope in his book, in his uh, writings about the Earth going around the sun. And he even named the Pope's character Simplicio, which is simpleton or, you know, moron. And so he got judged just as much on his delivery as his content. And just to give you an idea, Wallace says, you know, before that, years before, Tycho Brahe was, um, and Copernicus proposed heliocentric systems, but the church didn't go after them. So he says there was a conflict uh, between the Roman Catholic hierarchy and Galileo, but it didn't prove Christianity was hostile to science. It's just that the Pope and Galileo had a complex relationship. And throughout this conflict, Catholic leadership didn't see themselves as science deniers, they were just going with what the reigning scientific consensus of the time was. And that was Ptolemy's idea of geocentrism. Geocentrism. There we go. I knew I could say that. So um, that's what, that was the reigning view at the time, that everything went around the earth. And uh, that was Aristotle that believed that. And so it had been around a long, long time. And actually, he says, realistically, if we knew the history of the Catholic Church, had been interested in the latest scientific discoveries and actually supported the natural sciences at the university level. And so he says uh, Christian universities that had been supported financially by the Catholic Church exposed more people to science than anything had up to that time. And the church provided financial and social support to the study of astronomy, more so than other institutions did. So he says, you know, if you look at Galileo's life said even toward the end of his life he never rejected his Catholicism. He didn't see any contradiction between his beliefs as a Catholic and his findings as a scientist. He once quoted a cardinal who said that the intention of the Holy Ghost is to teach us how one goes to heaven, not how heaven goes. So that's not a problem there. Okay, so there's the, the Christianity is not clashing with uh, science. He said, actually, there's a relationship between the progress of science and the appearance of Jesus in history. So you get scientific bursts 
Now he illustrates it with these charts that shows that science was not changing and getting better gradually. That there were these uh, growth curves that happened and Jesus came right before this. And he says Jesus appears just before the growth curve of science. Was that a coincidence or was Jesus somehow a catalyst to bring this along? And he shows you as you go through this timeline that the chart jumps as far as scientific advances at particular times in history that has to do with Christianity. So when the monasteries and the cathedral schools were established, boom, more science came along. Next, he says, now there were Muslims that actually increased that, but says the rate of Muslim involvement ended right before the scientific revolution because they had a different view of Allah at that time that inhibited scientific discovery. So I got curious and I looked that up. That's in one of his uh, case notes in the back. And he said, apparently what happened is that there was a theological battle that took place within Islam. And there were two groups there. And one group said, uh, God would allow Allah to change our world at any moment. Okay, so their view of God, Allah, he could change the world any time. And if that's true, then we could never understand the natural world. And so that's the, the side that won. And so early Islamic theology led to a closing of the Muslim mind. So for a while, the Muslims did actually cause a jump in uh, scientific endeavors. Okay, the next increase in activity coincided with the Christian founding of the major universities, Bologna and Oxford and Paris. Then what else happened? Well, scientific advancements jumped at the time of Gutenberg, who was a Jesus follower, inventing the printing press. And then the one that jumped a lot as far as science progress goes was the time of the Protestant Reformation. So he says Jesus' followers dominated this burst of activity where modern science came out because of their developments in math and physics, astronomy and biology and chemistry. So he gets a, a really nice quote in here. A Princeton professor, Allen, once wrote, we have begun to realize that for its very birth, science owed a great deal to Christianity. So what was it? What, what about Jesus acted as a catalyst for science? How did he ignite this scientific uprising? So Wallace has several reasons. One is Christ followers believe matter was good and is worthy of study. Now that sounds pretty obvious, but a lot of the early Greeks and all uh, did not hold the material world in high regard. Secondly, Christ followers believed their world was the product of a singular, orderly, rational God. Now, put that up against polytheistic cultures. I mean, they, they worshipped all these erratic and prideful and chaotic gods. Just think about the Greek gods. They said they're drinking and carousing. And if, if you have gods like that, that lack order and discipline, why would you try to explain natural phenomena by way of orderly, orderly laws? Yeah, it's not going to happen. But Jesus' followers believed there was one God, and he ruled the universe in an orderly way and created us in his image. So we have an orderly mind that we can use. Here's a third reason that Jesus ignited the scientific revolution. Christ followers believed that God was distinct from his creation. So here's number three. Jesus taught that God transcended the material world. Well, then... Why would you try to explain the phenomena with science if it was, for example, Poseidon was out there in the ocean all the time? 
Jesus endorsed, though, a different worldview. God was greater than but distinct from his creations. So he worked through predictable natural processes so humans could study these. Here's a fourth catalyst that Jesus caused and, and made science become big. They're motivated by their desire to worship the God of the universe. So he takes somebody like Kepler. Kepler said, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him, since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. So these Jesus followers were not just personally interested in nature. Their enthusiasm was inspired by devotion to God. Here's a fifth reason, Wallace says, led to modern science because of Christianity. Christ followers believed they could better understand God by observing his activity in what was called the book of nature. So there's special revelation, that's scripture, but there's natural revelation that Christians believed, that God told us things from the way the world worked. So Christian scientists held both books in high regard. They wanted to uh, learn about God from the Bible, but they felt there were revelations about God in the natural world. Here's a sixth way that Christ ignited scientific revolutions. Christ's followers pursued physical and intellectual investigations of their environment. So in other words, empirical research in the earliest Christian educational facilities. So instead of just purely intellectual reasoning, sitting around just thinking of things, it says, no, these people, the early Christians, believed in physical labor and they didn't see matter as evil. They didn't mind getting their hands dirty. So they went out and dug around and found stuff. Here's number seven, reason why Christians uh, were the ones that got science off the ground. Christ followers created a place to advance the sciences. All right, that's the modern universities. These institutions were invented by Jesus followers. Now, he covers that in one of his chapters. So if you didn't have that educational advancement, scientific discovery just wouldn't have flourished. So those are some of the, the reasons why Jesus followers had such a huge impact. And then he spends the last part of his chapter talking about all sorts of famous, I just don't have the time to cover them, but all sorts of famous followers, Jesus followers who contributed to scientific discovery. He starts with the, the ancients, you know, right, in the early period uh, of Christianity. And he covers oh, the Middle Ages, some of the famous people there. Most of them I have not heard of. Um, early Renaissance uh, who else here? Late modern period. You know, it comes up. I mean, he just spends so much time on this. It's really impressive. In the current generation, he said there's a new group of Hall of Fame inductees, he says, for the Scientific Hall of Fame right around the corner. He says they're already, they're Jesus followers, right? So they're doing very well following up. And then he has, I don't know how many pages, listing the different scientific disciplines that the Christians were the ones that got started. So everything from physics to geometrical acoustics to hydrodynamics, astrophysics, physiological optics. I mean, things that are really bizarre. Let me just add up the pages that are devoted to this. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight pages listing famous areas that were influenced heavily by Christians. And he says, you know, 
Jesus followers just didn't contribute to the sciences. They founded and they led the sciences and they've been award winners. So he said, well, you know, the prize of prizes is the Nobel Prize. And he said, now, it's a little difficult to come up with a religious affiliation for every Nobel Prize winner. But at the 100th anniversary of the Nobel Prize, they did get some statistics together. It says, you may not be uh, surprised to find that most Nobel Prize winners have, in fact, been Christ followers, Jesus followers. So he's got a pie chart there. And it's these are Nobel Prize winners. Now catch this, out of this whole list, all these Nobel Prize winners, almost two-thirds, 65%, were Christ followers. The next biggest part of that pie chart is Jewish uh, intellectuals, 21%. Atheists and agnostics are seven. And of course you got a bunch of others. So 65% of the Nobel Prize winners have been Christians, 21% Jewish, 7% atheist or agnostic. And I want, he's giving you all sorts of statistics in this, and I'll skip over that here. But he said, uh, you might be surprised to know that all the claims of Christianity relating to Jesus can be reconstructed from the writings of scientists. So they've offered all sorts of things about the life of Jesus. He said, he said that's right. Men and women who founded, this is a quote from Wallace, Men and women who founded the disciplines of physics and chemistry, biology and cosmology, evolutionary genetics, and quantum mechanics also believed that Jesus performed miracles and rose from the grave. They were certain that the supernatural author of the laws they studied had the power to intervene in the natural world, and they had done so in the person of interest known as Jesus of Nazareth. Now he quotes an astrophysicist, but I will uh, skip over that. So that's one chapter in the book. Uh, you need to get this book. It, it's, uh, it's a good one to think about. It's a good one to go back to again and again. Plus, he tells this great story, a murder story as well. You know how he does that, being a cold case detective. So he makes this thing read like a novel. Um, you need to get a hold of this book. At the beginning, I just want to share with you what a couple of people said about Greg Laurie, the senior pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, says, in person of interest, Wallace wields not only his investigative wit, but also his narrative expertise. You'll be glad he came along for this case. Uh, Lee Strobel says, uh, let's see here, America's foremost cold case detective uses his astute mind and sharp investigative skills to explore the, ev the evidence for Jesus outside the Bible and why he remains relevant even in our increasingly skeptical culture. So, you need to get this book. It's good reading. And uh, follow Jim. Go to his website and see what he's up to. He's got uh, jwarnerwallace.com and he's got coldcasechristianity.com. So um, I know you'd enjoy learning more about it. Well, thanks for this episode and uh, hope to talk to you again.